signs. First sign, meaning that Abu Daud reports that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, At the head of every century, God will commission a mujaddid for this ummah, who will revive the faith for its sake. The 24th year of the present century is now nearing its end, and it is not possible that a saying of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, should remain unfulfilled. If someone asks, if this hadith is authentic, then tell us the names of the mujaddids, reformers of the 12 centuries. The answer is that this hadith has been continually held as authentic by the scholars of the ummah. If at the time of my claim even this hadith is to be declared as a fabrication, such can indeed be expected only from these maulvis. Some eminent scholars of hadith themselves claim to be the mujaddids of their own times, while others have tried to project someone else as the mujaddid. Therefore, if this hadith is not authentic, they did not act honestly. As for the names of the mujaddids, it is not necessary for me to remember them all. Such all-encompassing knowledge is exclusive to God alone. I lay no claim to know the unseen except for what God reveals to me. Furthermore, this ummah is spread over a large part of the world. Divine wisdom raises a mujaddid in one country at a certain time and in another country at other times. Who can have full knowledge of the works of God and who can encompass his domain of the unseen? Will you please tell me how many prophets have appeared in every one of the nations from Hazrat Adam al-Islam, Adam, to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. If you tell me this, I shall tell the names of the mujaddids too. It is obvious that lack of knowledge about something does not necessarily mean that it does not exist. Moreover, it is a universally agreed tenet among the Ahlul Sunnah that the last mujaddid for this ummah is the promised Messiah, who shall appear in the latter days. Now the point at issue is whether these are the latter days or not. Both the Jews and the Christians agree that these indeed are the latter days. You can ask them and find out if you so desire. Death is raging on, earthquakes are occurring one after the other, and all kinds of extraordinary calamities have started appearing. Are these days, then, not the latter days? The righteous ones of the Ummah have also designated these days as the latter days, and 23 years of the 14th century have already passed. As such, it is a strong argument to the effect that this indeed is the time for the promised Messiah to appear. I am the only person who made the claim before the beginning of this century, and indeed, I am the only one after whose claim as many as 25 years have passed, and I am still alive. And I am the only one who has convicted the Christians and the people of other faiths with signs from God. Therefore, as long as another claimant bearing the same characteristics is not produced in opposition to my claim, my own claim to be the promised Messiah, who is the Majedid of the latter days, stands established. God has decreed different epochs in time. There was a time when the cross broke God's truthful Messiah, Messiah, wounding him, but in the latter days it was preordained that the Messiah would break the cross, that is, he would eradicate the belief in the atonement from this world through heavenly signs, a due recompense for the damage done, no cause for complaint. Second sign. The following hadith is recorded in Sunandar Kutni, that Imam Muhammad al-Baqir says, Translation, there are two signs for our Mahdi, and ever since God created the heavens and earth, these two signs have never appeared in the time 
of any other appointed one or messenger. One of them is that in the time of the promised Mahdi, during the month of Ramadan, the lunar eclipse will take place on its first night, i.e. on the 13th night, while the solar eclipse will take place on the middle of its days, i.e. on the 28th day of the month of the same Ramadan. Such a phenomenon has never occurred at the time of any messenger or prophet since the beginning of the world. It is destined to occur only at the time of the promised Mahdi. Now all English and Urdu newspapers and all astronomers are witness to the fact that the lunar and solar eclipses of this particular description did take place in my time about 12 years ago during the month of Ramadan. And just as is reported in another hadith, these eclipses have taken place twice in the month of Ramadan, first in this country and then again in America. Both times they took place exactly on the dates indicated by the hadith. At the time of these eclipses, there was no claimant to being the promised Mahdi anywhere in the world except me, nor did anyone claim these eclipses as the sign of his being the promised Mahdi and publish hundreds of announcements and booklets in Urdu, Arabic, and Persian to support his claim. Therefore, this heavenly sign is specifically appointed to me. Another supporting argument for the same is that 12 years prior to the manifestation of this sign, God Almighty had informed me that a sign of this kind would appear. That tiding, having been recorded in Brahin Ahmadiyya, had become known to hundreds of thousands of people before the sign actually appeared. It is very sad that my opponents object out of sheer prejudice that firstly, the Hadith says that the lunar eclipse would take place on the first night, and the solar eclipse on the middle day, but it did not happen like this. According to their contention, the lunar eclipse should have taken place on the crescent night, that is, the first night of the lunar month, and the solar eclipse should have taken place on the 15th day of the lunar month, which is the middle day of the month. This line of thinking is entirely the product of their misconception. Ever since the creation of this world, God Almighty's law of nature has fixed three nights in the month for a lunar eclipse, namely the 13th, 14th and the 15th. Thus the first night for a lunar eclipse according to God's law of nature is the 13th night of the lunar month. Similarly, God's law of nature has fixed three days for a solar eclipse, namely the 27th, 28th and 29th day of the lunar month. Thus, of the three days meant for the solar eclipse, the 28th day of the lunar month is the middle day. In exact conformity with the intent of the Hadiths, the sun and the moon were eclipsed in the month of Ramadan. That is, the lunar eclipse took place on the 13th night of the month of Ramadan and the solar eclipse occurred on the 28th day of the same month of Ramadan. Moreover, according to the Arabic lexicon, the moon of the first night is never designated as Qamar, which is the word in the Hadith. Instead, the moon for the first three days is known as Hilal, crescent. According to some, for the first seven days, the moon continues to be called Hilal. The second objection is that even if they concede that the first night of the moon to eclipse means its 13th night, and the middle of the days for the sun means the 28th day, what is so extraordinary about it? Has there never occurred a lunar and solar eclipse in the month of Ramadan? The answer is that this hadith does not mean that the two eclipses have never happened together in the month of Ramadan. Rather, it means that the two eclipses have never occurred together in the month of Ramadan during the time when anyone claimed to be a messenger or a prophet. 
This is borne out by the explicit wording of the Hadith. In case someone claims that both these eclipses did in fact take place together in the month of Ramadan, during the time when someone claimed to be a prophet or a messenger, it is incumbent upon him to provide its proof. In particular, who does not know the fact that during the 1,300 years of the Islamic calendar, many impostors claimed to be the promised Mahdi by way of fabrication and even engaged in fighting? But who can prove that in their time both the lunar and the solar eclipses occurred together in the month of Ramadan? So long as this evidence is not produced, such an event without a doubt qualifies as supernormal. For this is what is called supernormal, that the like of it is not found in the world. Moreover, not only the Hadith but also the Holy Quran has pointed towards it. Footnote start. God Almighty has pointed out in brief words that the hallmark of the latter days is that the eclipses of the sun and the moon shall be timed to take place in the same month. In the following part of the same words, God says that he who denies shall be left with no room for escape. This makes it evident that this solar and lunar eclipse shall take place during the days of the promised Mahdi. In summary, since that solar and lunar eclipse shall take place in fulfillment of God's prophecy, the argument will be clinched vis-a-vis those who deny. Footnote end. See the verse. And the moon is eclipsed, and the sun and the moon are brought together. Surah Al-Qiyamah, chapter 75, verse 9 to 10 of the Holy Quran. The third objection that is raised is that this hadith is not marfum mutasil, and is merely a statement of Imam Muhammad al-Baqir. May Allah be pleased with him. Footnote start. Marfu means a hadith for which the chain of narrators reaches all the way up to the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Mutasil means that there is no interruption in the chain of reporters. Footnote end. The answer is that it was the practice of the Imams belonging to the Holy Prophet's house that on account of their personal eminence, they did not consider it necessary to record the chain of reporters by name, reaching all the way to the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. This practice of theirs is quite well known. Thus, there are hundreds of ahadiths of this kind in this Shia sect. Moreover, Imam Dad Qutni has included it in his collection as one of the ahadiths. Furthermore, this hadith comprises a matter of the unseen that has actually manifested after 1,300 years. It says in brief that, at the time of the promised Mahdi, the lunar eclipse will take place on the 13th night of Ramadan and the solar eclipse will take place on the 28th day of the same month. And an event such as this will not happen in the time of any other claimant except the promised Mahdi. It is quite obvious that no one except a prophet can so vividly tell about a matter belonging to the unseen. Allah the Exalted says in the Holy Quran, of Surah Al-Jinn, chapter 72, verse 27 to 28 of the Holy Quran, meaning that, God does not communicate his knowledge of the unseen to anyone except his chosen messengers. Now since this prophecy has been fulfilled to the letter, claims that the Hadith is inauthentic or that it is a saying of Imam Muhammad al-Baqir are lame excuses. The fact is that these people have no desire whatsoever that any prophecy of the Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him or of the Holy Quran be fulfilled. 
The world is approaching its end, but according to them no prophecy concerning the latter days has yet been fulfilled. What hadith can be more authentic than this hadith, which does not owe its validation to the critique of hadith scholars, but instead has demonstrated on its own that it is at the highest level of authenticity? Footnote start. But the fact is that it is not the eyes that are blind, but it is the hearts which are in the breast that are blind. Surah Al-Hajj, chapter 22, verse 47 of the Holy Quran. Footnotes end. To reject the signs of God is a separate issue. Otherwise, it is a magnificent sign which was long awaited by thousands of learned people and scholars of Hadith before me. They would climb upon the pulpits and remind others about it with tears in their eyes. And at the very last, Mawi Muhammad of Lakuke wrote a couplet about this very eclipse during this very era in his book Ahwalul Akhirat, in which the time of the appearance of the promised Mahdi is mentioned and it is as follows. A narrator says that in that year the moon will be eclipsed on the 13th and the sun on the 27th in the month of Ramadan. Footnote start. The date 27th given in this verse is either a misprint or a human error on the part of Malvi Muhammad of Lakukay because the hadith of which it, this couplet is a translation contains the date of the 28th not the 27th. Footnote end. Another saint who followed, another saint whose following couplet has been well known for hundreds of years says, that is, in the year 1311 in the 14th century of Hijrah, when the moon and the sun will be eclipsed in the same month, it will constitute a sign for the appearance of the promised Mahdi as well as the Antichrist. This couplet contains the exact year of the lunar and solar eclipses. Third sign is the appearance of a comet which was destined to appear in the time of the promised Messiah. It has long since appeared. Its sighting prompted some English newspapers of the Christians to comment that the time of the Messiah's advent had arrived. Fourth sign is the invention of a new means of transport which is a special sign of the advent of the promised Messiah, as is written in the Holy Quran of Surah Taqweer, chapter 81, verse 5 of the Holy Quran meaning that the latter days are those when she camels will become obsolete. Similarly, there is a hadith in Sahih Muslim that, meaning that, in that age she camels will become useless and no one will travel on them. During the days of the Hajj, the journey between Makkah and Medina is undertaken on she camels, but the day is close at hand when railways will be constructed for this journey, and then it will be true for this journey that, she camels will become useless and no one travels on them. Fifth sign is the suspension of Hajj. It is recorded in an authentic Hadith that the Hajj will be suspended for a period of time during the era of the promised Messiah. This sign too was manifested in 1899 CE and 1900 CE, etc. on account of the plague. Sixth sign is the publication of books and manuscripts on a large scale and is indicated in the verse when books are spread abroad. Surah Taqweed, chapter 81, verse 11 of the Holy Quran. It is necessary to describe how vastly books have been published in this age on account of the printing presses. Seventh sign is the construction of a large number of canals as is indicated by the verse and when the rivers are made to flow forth into canals. 
Surah Al-Infitar, Chapter 82, Verse 4 of the Holy Quran. There is no doubt that such a large number of canals have been constructed in this age that rivers have almost dried up due to them. Eighth sign is the increase of mutual contacts between people and the ease of mode of interaction as is clear from the verse. And when people are brought together, Surat Taqweer, chapter 81, verse 8 of the Holy Quran, due to the railways and telegraph, this has happened in such a way as to virtually transform the world. Ninth sign is the frequency and gravity of earthquakes, as is indicated by the verse, This will happen on the day when the quaking earth shall quake, and a second quaking shall follow it. Surah Naziat, chapter 79, verse 7 to 8 of the Holy Quran. Accordingly, extraordinary earthquakes are occurring throughout the world. Tenth sign is the large-scale death of people in this age caused by various calamities, as is meant by this Quranic verse of Surah Bani Israel, chapter 17, verse 59 of the Holy Quran. Translation There is no habitation which we shall not destroy or punish to some degree a short while before the day of resurrection. This is that time, for people are dying from the plague, earthquakes, storms, shock of volcanic eruptions, and mutual warfare. Such a variety of causes of death has converged in this age, and they have appeared with such intensity that an example of this overall state of affairs is not found in any previous age. Eleventh sign, the period mentioned in the book of Prophet Daniel, Daniel for the appearance of the promised Messiah is this age, in which I have been appointed by God. It is written that in that age, many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the day sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate is set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Footnote start. According to the book of Daniel, one day represents a year. Here that prophet indicates the year of Hijrah, migration, which is counted from the first year of the victory and dominance of Islam. Footnote end. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. Um, footnote start. In the King James Version, these verses are Daniel chapter 12, verse 10 to 12. Footnote and This prophecy tells about the promised Messiah who was to appear in the latter days. According to Prophet Daniel, his sign is that the Jews will give up the right of making burnt offerings and will fall victim to corrupt practices. Footnote In accordance with the teaching of their scriptures, the Jews were required to make burnt offerings. They would slaughter goats and burn them in front of the temple. What the law intended was that people should similarly sacrifice their own self before God and should burn their selfish passions and rebellion. The Jews had abandoned this practice in letter and spirit during the blessed days of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and had fallen prey to other loathsome practices as is quite well known. Thus, when the Jews stopped offering this real burnt sacrifice, i.e. sacrificing their ego, in the path of God, and burning their selfish passions, then God Almighty's wrath deprived them even of physical sacrifice. 
This, in fact, was the period of rank misconduct on the part of the Jews, which coincided with the advent of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the uprooting of the Jews. As a matter of fact, the Islamic custom of sacrifice offered during the Hajj of the House of Allah, the Kaaba is a substitute for the sacrifices which the Jews used to perform in front of Baitul Muqaddas. The only difference is that there is no burnt sacrifice in Islam. The Jews were a rebellious people, deeming it necessary for them to burn their selfish passions. This symbolic sacrifice was prescribed for them. Islam, on the other hand, does not stand in need of such a sign. Instead, it is enough to surrender oneself in the path of God. Footnote end. The promised Messiah is destined to appear after 1,290 years. This was the exact time of the advent of this humble one, for my book Rahina Ahmadiyya was printed and published only a few years after I was appointed and commissioned. It is amazing, and I consider this to be a sign of God, that I was blessed with converse and discourse with God Almighty exactly in the year 1290 Hijrah. Seven years thereafter, Rahina Ahmadiyya, in which my claim is recorded, was compiled and published. Accordingly, the following couplet is written, on the opening page of the book, considering that it shows the path of salvation, how wonderful it is that the year of publication, 1297 after Hijrah, is represented by the phrase, Ya Ghafur, O Forgiving Lord. Footnotes start. The word in the original Brahim Ahmadiyya was points to. The word shows, as given here, is a variation of the same with similar meanings. Footnote end. Footnote 2, start. In the Arabic abjad system, each letter in the alphabet corresponds to a numerical value. Using this system, the value of Yaghafur is 1297. Footnote end. Thus, the year 1290 recorded in the book of Daniel is the year of the promised Messiah's advent. The book Brahim Ahmadiyya, in which I announced that I was commissioned and appointed by God, was published only seven years thereafter, and I have already stated that the series of converse with Allah had started seven years earlier, i.e. in 1290 Hijrah. Again, the last days of the promised Messiah are fixed by Daniel at 1,335 years, which resembles the revelation of God Almighty concerning my age. This prophecy is not based on presumption, for it concurs with the prophecy of Hazrat Isa Jesus, in the Gospel concerning the promised Messiah, which also fixes the present age for the promised Messiah. Thus, the following signs of the time for the advent of the promised Messiah are noted during that period. The plague shall break out, earthquakes shall strike, wars will rage, and the solar and lunar eclipses shall take place. Hence, there is not the least doubt that the age whose hallmarks are spelled out in the Gospel is the same about which Daniel prophesied. And the prophecy of the Gospel supports that of Daniel, for all those things have come to pass in this age. Furthermore, the Jewish and the Christian prophecy that is inferred from the Bible affirms it, namely, that the promised Messiah will be born at the end of the sixth millennium from the birth of Adam. According to the lunar calendar, which is the original calendar of the people of the book, my birth took place at the end of the sixth millennium, and the birth of the promised Messiah had since the beginning of time been preordained by God to take place at the end of the sixth millennium, because the promised Messiah is Khatamul Khulafa, 
the seal of the Khulafa, and the last out to have similarity with the first. Since Hazrat Adam Islam was born in the last part of the sixth day, it was necessary with respect to the parallelism that the last vicegerent, who is the last Adam, should also be born at the end of the sixth millennium. This is because each day of the seven days of God equals 1,000 years, as Allah Himself says. And verily, a day with your Lord is a thousand years of your reckoning. Surah Al-Hajj, chapter 22, verse 48 of the Holy Quran. Authentic ahadiths also bear out that the promised Messiah would be born in the sixth millennium. Footnote start. God Almighty has disclosed to me that according to the Jumal Abjad system of enumeration, the numerical value of the letters constituting Surah Al-Asr indicates the number of years that have passed since the beginning of Adam up to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. In accordance with this blessed Surah, when calculated up to this age, the seventh millennium has now started. And according to this calculation, my birth has taken place in the sixth millennium. For my age is almost 68 years now. Footnote end. This is why all those blessed with spiritual visions have not gone beyond the sixth millennium in fixing the time for the promised Messiah, and the outermost limit of the time of his advent is stated as the 14th century Hijrah. Muslims who were gifted with spiritual visions have foretold that the promised Messiah, who is the last Khalifa and Khatamul Khulafa, seal of the Khulafa, is like Adam in that he would be born at the end of sixth millennium, just as Adam was born at the end of the sixth day. Moreover, like Adam, he would be born on Friday and would be a twin birth, just as Adam was born in the manner of a twin, Adam first and then Eve. Similarly, the promised Messiah would be born twin. So Allah be praised and thanked that I am the fulfillment of this prophecy of the mystics. I too was born a twin at dawn on a Friday with the sole difference that the first to be born was a girl whose name was Jannat, and she went to Jannat, paradise, after a few days, and after her I was born. Sheikh Muhyiddin ibn Arabi has recorded this prophecy in his book Fusus, and has also written that he, the promised Messiah, would be of Chinese descent. Footnote start. What is meant by it is that his family shall have Turkish blood in them. This prophecy finds fulfillment in our family, which is known as Mughals, because although the truth is indeed what God said that this family is of Persian origin, it is certain and well known that many of our mothers and grandmothers are of Mughal lineage, who are Chinese by origin, i.e. residents of China. Footnote end. In any case, these three prophecies reinforce one another because they have been fulfilled. They have acquired the status of certainty that no sensible person can deny. Twelfth sign is the prophecy by Hazrat Isa al-Islam concerning earthquakes and plague. As has been stated earlier, the advent of the promised Messiah is certain to take place at that time. Footnote start. A priest writes that the plague and earthquakes are no proof of the advent of the promised Messiah, for history shows that such earthquakes and such plagues have always occurred in the world. The reply to this is that without doubt these earthquakes and this plague in Punjab and India are extraordinary. No such occurrence is on record over the past hundreds of years. Quantitatively as well as qualitatively, this plague and these earthquakes are indeed most unusual. If the priest disagrees, he should not quote some precedent. Besides, even if there have been plague, earthquakes, and wars, 
in the world in the past, there was no claimant to being the promised Messiah at the time. Therefore, now that a claimant to being the Messiah has appeared prior to such unusual earthquakes and the plague and all these signs in conformity with those given in the gospel have come to pass, why should he be rejected? True, the stars of heaven have not literally fallen upon the earth. You should ask astronomers if humans and animals could survive if the stars should fall on the earth. Footnote end. Thirteenth sign. The prophecy about the advent of the promised Messiah at the end of the sixth millennium as deduced from the Bible. Fourteenth sign. The prophecy of Nehemiah Wali concerning me, the couplets of which I have reproduced in my book Nishane Asmani. Fifteenth sign, the prophecy of Gulab Shah Jamal Puri concerning me, which I have recorded in detail in my book, is Zalai Oham. Sixteenth sign, Bir Sahibul Alam of Sindh, who had a hundred thousand followers and was a famous saint in his area, saw in a dream that, referring to me, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, He is truthful and is from me. I have already published this dream in Tohfahe Gularvia. Therefore, no further details are required. Seventeenth sign, the revelation received by Malvi Sahibzad Abdul Latif the martyr, that this person, meaning me, is in the right, and he is also the promised Messiah. And along with it, there were many successive dreams which bestowed such steadfastness upon him that he ultimately gave up his life in the land of Kabul. On the orders of the Emir of Kabul, to attest to my truth, the Amir remonstrated with him a number of times that he would be honored even more if only he were to forego his bed, pledge of allegiance to me. But he replied, I cannot put my life above my faith. In the end, he sacrificed his life in this path, saying, I prefer to give up my life for Allah's pleasure. He was then stoned to death, and he displayed such steadfastness that not even a single sigh escaped from his lips. For forty days his corpse lay in the stones. After this, one of his disciples by the name of Ahmad Nur buried his dead body. It has been reported that his grave still smells of musk. A strand of his hair was brought here and it still smells of musk. It is displayed in a glass frame in a corner of my bed to dua, a small chamber in the house of the promised Messiah where he used to pray. It is obvious that had this enterprise been a mere fraud perpetrated by an impostor, why would the blessed martyr receive revelations about my truthfulness while he was living such a long distance away, and why would he see repeated dreams while he was even unaware of my name? Only God informed him concerning me that the promised Messiah had appeared in the Punjab. It was then that he began to investigate the news coming from the Punjab, and when he learned that indeed a person in Gadian, district Gurdaspur, Punjab, does claim to be the promised Messiah, he hastened towards me, leaving everything behind and stayed here for about two months. Upon his return, he was arrested on the report of wicked informers. After his arrest, when he was told to meet his wife and children, he replied, I need not meet them any more, I entrust them to God. When the verdict was delivered that he would be stoned to death, he said, I shall not remain dead for more than 40 days. This was a reference to what is written in the scriptures, that a believer is brought to life a few days, or at the most 40 days after his death and is raised to heaven. This is the same controversy that continues to persist between me and my opponents regarding the Rafa, ascension of Hazrat Isa, peace be upon him. 
in keeping with the book of God, I believe in his spiritual ascension, whereas they believe in physical ascension, in contravention of the book of God and in defiance of the God's injunction. Say, Holy is my Lord, I am not but a man sent as a messenger. Surah Bani Israel, chapter 17, verse 94 of the Holy Quran. And they say that I am the Dajjal, Antichrist, because it is written that as many as 30 Dajjals will appear. They failed to realize that if 30 Dajjals were to come, then according to this measure, there should have come 30 messiahs as well, one for every Dajjal. What a travesty that 30 Dajjals did appear, but there has not been a single messiah. How unfortunate is this Ummah that it only has Dajjals in its lot, and it is yet to see the face of a true messiah whereas hundreds of prophets appeared among the Israelite dispensation. In short, is it righteousness to criticize a movement in which God raised people as truthful as Abdul Latif the martyr, who were bestowed with revelation from God, who sacrificed their lives in this path, and who testified to my truth on the basis of the revelation received from God? How can a pious and righteous scholar show such loving fervor for an impostor? No one dies or lays down his life for anyone else. It is love alone that compels a person to perform this task with the utmost sincerity. It is love that makes one sit in the raging fire. It is love that makes one wallow in the dust of humiliation. I do not believe that a heart could be purified without love. It is love that hastens to rescue us from this mundane snare. Said Zada Malvi Abdul Latif the martyr testified to the truth with his own blood as is said, Steadfastness has a higher status than a miracle, but the practice of most of the ulama of today is that they are wont to alter their edicts for a paltry couple of rupees. They speak not out of the fear of God, but under the upsurge of their ego. On the contrary, Abdul Latif, the blessed martyr, was such a voracious and righteous man of God that he cared neither for his wife nor children, nor his own dear life in the path of God. Such indeed are the true divines whose words and deeds are worthy of emulation and who prove true to their commitment in the path of God until the very end. Do not seek to know the path to that incomparable one from the slaves of the self. Seek the writer wherever dust clouds appear. One who feels restless because of that beloved, let him go seek his company and find peace. At the threshold of the one who lost himself for the sake of the beloved, be like dust and seek in it the pleasure of the beloved. The enterprising ones reach out to him after tasting great ardor and spite. Go and court this ardor and seek within it the conquest of the citadel. The right way is not to be seated on the throne of arrogance. Consume the lower self and seek the beloved by doing so. Eighteenth sign. God Almighty has said in Surah Al-Haqqa, chapter 69, verse 45 to 47 of the Holy Quran, meaning that had this prophet falsely attributed any sayings to us, we would have seized him by the right hand and severed that wane which is his life wane i.e. jugular reign. Although this verse has been revealed regarding the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, it is of general application, quite like the idiom of the entire Holy Quran, where most of the commands and prohibitions are apparently addressed to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, 
but others are also addressed in these commandments, or such commandments are exclusively meant for others, as is this verse of Surah Bani Israel, chapter 17, verse 24 of the Holy Quran, meaning that, Never say unto your parents any word expressive of ennui, and do not say to them such things as lack regard for their esteem. The addressee of this verse is the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, but this commandment is in fact directed toward the Ummah, because the father and the mother of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had passed away when he was very young. This commandment also contains a point to ponder, namely that a sensible person can appreciate from this verse that if this commandment is addressed to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, admonishing him to respect his parents and pay due regard to their exalted station in all conversation, how much respect others need to show towards their parents. This is what another verse points to. Of Surah Bani Israel, chapter 17, verse 24 of the Holy Quran, meaning that your Lord has ordained that you should worship only him and show benevolence towards parents. In this verse, the idolaters who worship idols are admonished, thus, Idols are nothing, and idols have done no favor to you. They did not create you, nor did they provide for you in your tender age. Had God permitted the worship of anyone other than himself, he would have enjoined that you should worship parents too, for figuratively speaking, they are also sustainers, and everyone, even beasts and grazing animals, protect their offspring in their tender years. Thus, after God's sustaining lordship, they also play their role in nurturing, and this impulse to nurture, again, is from God. After this short digression, let me turn to the main subject. God says about the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that had he lied against us, we would have destroyed him. This does not mean that God has expressed his jealousy only with reference to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in that were he an imposter, God would have destroyed him. But his jealousy is not roused in the case of others, no matter how much they lie against God, or concoct false revelations and ascribe them to God. Such a concept is as irrational as it is against all of God's scriptures. The Torah still contains the sentence that whoever lies against God and makes a false claim to prophethood shall be destroyed. Besides, Muslim scholars have long been quoting the verse, if he had falsely attributed even a trivial statement to us, Surah Al-Haqqa, chapter 69, verse 45 of the Holy Quran, before the Christians and the Jews as evidence of the veracity of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. It is obvious that an argument is of no use unless it has general application. How can this be an argument that had the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, fabricated against God, he would have been destroyed and the whole undertaking would have come to naught. But God is not offended if someone else fabricates against him. Rather, he loves such a person and grants him respite more than he did to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and even helps and supports him. This should not be called an argument. Rather, it is a claim which itself stands in need of an argument. Alas, in opposing me, they have stooped so low as to attack even the signs of the veracity of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Since these people know that more than 25 years have elapsed since my claim of being a recipient of divine revelation and inspiration, which exceeds even the tenure of ministry of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him,
as that was 23 years, while in my case, it is close to 30 years, and I do not know how long the extent of my period of calls is in the knowledge of God. This is why these people, despite being hailed as Mongbis, assert that one who lies against God and is a false claimant of revelation can even survive for as long as 30 years from the beginning of his fabrication and that God can help and support him, and yet they do not produce any precedent for it. O oh, impertinent people! Remember lying is akin to eating dung. The way God has treated me with his grace and kindness is so much so that during this lengthy period of time, each day was a day of progress for me, and in every lawsuit that was filed to ruin me, God disgraced my enemies. Footnote start. It may be borne in mind that if the duration of my period of revelation is counted from the time when Brahina Ahmadiyya Part 1 was written, the period during which I have been receiving revelations from that year approximates 27 years. If it is counted from Brahina Ahmadiyya Part 4, then 25 years have elapsed, and if the time when I first started receiving revelations is taken into account, then this period amounts to 30 years. Footnote N. Do produce, if you have any precedent, of such divine support and succor over such a period of time. Otherwise, in keeping with the verse of Surah Al-Haqqa, chapter 69, verse 45 of the Holy Quran, the fulfillment of this sign has been proven and you will be called to account about it.